Welcome to the Girls on Tour podcast with Mira Manga. Hello and welcome again to the Girls on Tour podcast, the podcast that interviews inspirational and excellent women all about their adventures in transit. Hello to Jason Isaacs and all you Kermode and Mayo fans out there. You people might know my guest today. I first heard her voice on the radio chatting away to them after some tweets were exchanged and they invited her onto their show. It's diplomat Harriet Cross, British Consul General for New England. What does that mean, Mira? I hear you ask. Well, never fear. Harriet explains all, as well as dispensing some advice on careers in the Foreign Office, managing long-distance love, and the key to a successful negotiation with the UN. Of course. I like that this short but sweet interview highlights how a focused woman can take on the world and conquer it. We met for breakfast in a very swish restaurant in the city. And this is where you will now join us. I'm sitting in a very swanky, lovely restaurant uh, in, like, the city. Yeah. And I finally hooked up with Harriet Cross, who I kind of heard, I basically stalked you, having heard you on the Mark Kermode movie, uh, BBC radio show. And I immediately fangirled you because you were talking about movies, yes, but the thing that interested me was you were talking about your job. So if you could just describe a little bit about what you do. So I'm a British diplomat. So I joined the Foreign Office 20 years ago this month, in 1997. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you. Uh, so that was straight from university. Um, I did the civil service fast stream and chose the foreign office and got into the foreign office and then I've done lots of different jobs within that particular career um, and I've taken a couple of um, couple of different jobs kind of on um, uh, out of the diplomatic service but still within that general sphere of international relations. I'm currently Consul General to New England. Hooray! Which is the best title ever, it sounds so fun. <laughs> So I'm guessing from uni or from young, you, you realised that you wanted to travel if you went for foreign office. Was that always something you dreamt about? Yeah, yes, although I think it was partly languages that interested me initially. I did French and German as my GCSEs and I did French A-level and then I did a French and politics degree at Warwick University. So it was the language initially and then um, I haven't... You know, I never travelled an absolutely huge amount before I joined the Foreign Office. Not not so much. It was more, I was kind of in love with the French language and going to Europe. Yeah. I went Morris dancing when I was 14 in Germany. Wow. And that was like my first experience of being overseas and it was incredible. I am a big Ma Morris dancer aficionado. <laughs> really? You're saying magic words to unlock my, my heart. I know. Wow. I love all the different troops across the UK, but I can imagine as like a teenager, that would have been a, like, what a fun, formative experience. Completely it was. And they fed me cheese cake for breakfast which I thought was thrilling as well. Yay, amazing. So how many languages do you speak? I only speak French fluently yeah. um, and German a little bit and then a bit of Moroccan Arabic and a bit of standard Arabic. I love how you say only, that's, that's still quite impressive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm impressed with my French, my Arabic could definitely do with a bit of work. Okay, good to know. Well luckily I won't test you on that. <laughs> I'm so relieved. <laughs> Way out of my depth there. Uh, you're now based in Boston. Yes. And that's where you are, Consul General. Yeah. And how did you end up there? Did you get to choose? Could you have chosen any state? Could you have chosen Hawaii? Or how does it no, work? No, the way it works in the Foreign Office, you 
say you've done a job for four years and you know it's your time now to move on to a new job because you basically change jobs every two to four years that's the way it works yeah so you look for um jobs that fit your timing so that there's a kind of whole list of jobs that start in say june 2016 yeah um and so boston was one of those jobs and there were probably another like 30 jobs that i could have applied for And I probably applied for a handful, you know, you kind of are meant to apply for a few at the same time. And you get interviewed, you have to kind of properly make your case for being the right person for that job. Yeah. Uh, and I think there were 40-odd people who applied, 40 foreign wow. office people who applied for the job in Boston. So <laughs> it was great, I was, and I was determined because I really wanted to get back to the US because I'd worked in New York for four years, um, probably like seven years before that. So um, yeah, I was, key, I was very keen. Okay, yeah, so I love that you just decided to focus on it and go for it. And not be yes. put off by the competition. Yeah. So how does that work? We always get to the relationships in this podcast. Yes. How does that work if you know every four years you're on this swinging schedule? with romance and love yeah it's really difficult um i've been married this year for 18 years which is ridiculous wonderful Um, but also means he's been on this whole journey with you right yeah well yeah sort of is the answer to that because we've had lots of time when we haven't lived together even though we've been married so a very quick summary of of, um how that all worked out i my first job was in morocco yeah so i went there when i was 23 years old um my now husband was somebody that I'd split up with five years earlier, very acrimoniously. Um, and I was actually um, in Morocco with somebody else, um, a different partner. Um, and then my current husband came and kind of swept me off my feet and declared on dying love. And we got married while I was in Morocco. And he was in the Navy. So he was traveling around the world on naval ships. Oh, my goodness. Um, so <laughs> we got married, had a honeymoon, and I went back to live by myself for the next 18 months. Although we saw each other every kind of, probably every six weeks or so. So you were balancing his leave with your holiday yeah. time. Yeah, wow. so we did that, um, and we've but done wait, that all the way through, really. This is before Skype and Facebook. Yeah, practically before email. This, oh my gosh. <laughs> this, is, this is like <laughs> 19, uh, yeah, 1999, so. Okay, so how? Yeah. How, um, I get, I'm not really sure how it works. I think I think you have to both like your independence, yeah. um, and both be willing to compromise, because um, at the moment, um, Phil is in Yorkshire uh, mm-hmm. running a brewery, and he comes to, he spends probably 50% of his time in Boston, so he comes yeah. kind of one month in Boston, one month in, in Yorkshire. And hopefully he will work towards the possibility of being in Boston full-time. That's the plan this oh, year. That'd be awesome. But um, I kind of, uh, I've lived a long-distance relationship for a long time. So you're both used to it. Yeah, and I'm quite a proponent of it. I think it's got huge advantages. It's, it's, it can oh, be so difficult nice as well. Let's hear some happiness yeah. about it because quite often it can be like quite a grind and quite heartbreaking so yeah well you don't really refreshing to hear you say that yeah you don't get stuck in a rut that's for one thing you know the whole kind of who's taking the bins out this this yeah. week um you kind of quite enjoy doing those domestic tasks together when you're together because it's kind of rare like you a know? novelty being yeah. in the supermarket yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's that's a really positive side of it and you get to share experiences with each other that what i mean is to share the experience that you've just had alone yeah. with that person so kind of you know you've got yeah. much you've got stuff to talk about in the way that people have just met have got stuff to talk about so kind of um yeah like enriching each other's lives in a way because you get to come back and say guess what i did yeah yeah and that person is also a bit um just um being interrupted by breakfast here so should we stop for a minute while you yeah okay we'll be right back guys (laughs) 
So we're back now, post-breakfast. So how was breakfast? <laughs> it was absolutely delicious. Yay, so recommendation for this restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. Cock d'argent. Yeah, um, cock d'argent vegan breakfast menu. Super yeah. impressive. Woo-woo. We love that. Um, yeah. So do you have advice for anyone who kind of like to find a role in the foreign office or this kind of job? Yes, I would say that have as broad an experience as possible beforehand. There's not a single strand of um, experience that you need um, to get into the Foreign Office, they, but you have to be a well-rounded person. So I really remember when I was doing my Foreign Office interviews, I was talking about like my work as a waitress, but talking about it thoughtfully, like how did I deal with problems? How did I learn what I needed to do on the job? How did I deal with difficult customers? All that sort of thing. So it's, yeah. it's, it's about being thoughtful and um, being able to analyse the world around you and your own behaviour rather than, oh, you have to speak such a number of languages, you have to have travelled the world. It's not like that at all. It's really about your um, abilities as a person. So the more that you can do to challenge yourself, I think, and put yourself out of your comfort zone and learn how to handle difficult, challenging situations, it is exactly the sort of people that we need in the diplomatic service. So that would be my advice. And it doesn't really matter how you get those experiences. So you could talk about like your travels or your gap year or, yeah, absolutely. or anything really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. And then um, you seem like quite a fun individual and you love your movies. I do. And your husband runs a microbrewery. Yes. So... For people who feel like it might be like a boring or a staid environment to work in, you're kind of like challenging my perception of that because I was like, wow, you know, this sounds like really vibrant. So it's not like that kind of scary old boys kind of... No, it's not. Um, and the, the, what I like about the Foreign Office is you can, you can choose what direction you take. So I've ended up doing quite a lot of human rights work throughout my yeah. career, though not exclusively, and quite a lot of comms work as well and press work. Um, and the stuff that the UK does, in particular, like the campaigning against the death penalty and yeah. LGBT rights kind of around the world, which I think is really powerful. And so if you, cho- you can choose to work in those strands of um, international diplomacy. Yeah. Um, or, you know, if you want to work within kind of, you know, uh, the OSCE or, or finance, you know, there's all sorts yeah. of different strands. Or HR, you know, there's all yeah. sorts of stuff. But if you want to choose the more fun path, which is exactly what I've done, I haven't, I haven't <laughs> been somebody who's kind of said, okay, I want to get to the very top of my career, so I'm going to do this, this and this job in order to be really senior really quickly. Yeah. I've chosen jobs that I will enjoy and that will develop me as a person. And yeah. um, those have been, I, I'm really glad I took that track because I've had a much more interesting career as a result of that. Oh, I'm so lovely. Yeah. I really am pleased to hear that advice because I think there's a lot to be said for taking a career that will fulfil you mm. rather than ticking the boxes of must earn more money, must have a director title, must be VP. Yeah. So, yay, thank you for that. Um, and then uh, as a frequent traveller, so someone who's coming back and forth, yeah. how do you feel at home away from home? How do you not get... Like, where is home for you, right? Like um, you know what, I'm from Yorkshire originally, yeah. and I think because Yorkshire is such a kind of, it, it's it's a powerful place, it kind of, um, it, so Yorkshire for me is still always home, my parents still live basically where I was brought up, and I kind of feel really connected to Yorkshire, almost kind of physically, um, so that's always home, although I probably, I may never live there in my life, because for example, I love London, I've, I've also got a flat in London, and every time I come back to London I feel so energised by the just the the energy of the city yeah um 
But then I feel like, because I've lived in the US, I'll, I'll have lived in the US for eight years in total by the time I finish in Boston. That's a kind of a good, a good chunk of, of my life as well. So um, I think you just have to feel at home wherever you end up being. I've got cats and I love, <laughs> look at pictures of my cats when I feel homesick. That's amazing. And you can always watch old reruns of Last of the Summer Wine. Yeah, or, well, you know. the, B- the BBC is something that I kind of take with me everywhere. So I've got, I have iPlayer on my phone and I, I wake up and I put on the Today programme even though it happened Yay. five hours earlier <laughs> I still listen to it as if it's real time that's so cute yeah I love, I love it I love the BBC that's yeah that's another thing that makes me feel at home wherever yeah. I am because we are uh, well, the BBC like now they Downton Abbey is a huge global hit and Doctor Who is really big yeah. everywhere now yeah the crown was something that people were just um, crazy about in the US so really as a British it. person they must all be saying oh is it like did you watch the crown yeah com- oh completely <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> and they think you live like in Downton Abbey and stuff like this. Yes. Okay. Yeah. At least I, I, um, I can tell them I have met the Queen, which is just, you know for some people oh for the for the US audience that is. I know like every, loads of people in the UK met the Queen. Of course they have. But um, it's still super impressive. In the wait, US. wait, wait, Harriet, you met the Queen. Is this for work? It was for work. When I was in New York. Are you a secret agent? <laughs> no. no, I did not parachute with the Queen or anything like that. But she came to visit New York in I think 2009, and I organised that whole visit. So that oh, was wow. a really interesting one of the most interesting things I've done is organize her visit to the UN that's great how did you pick what to wear oh my god you know what it was just I knew I'd be running around all day so it was practical practical stuff oh my gosh yeah that's amazing um do you have a picture of you with the queen no I don't have a picture of me with the queen I've got a signed picture of the queen that was presented to me as a thank you don't worry you and I will get a picture today (laughs) okay it won't be as good but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm really excited for you and um, I'm going to keep this short and sweet as you've got to rush off but um, final thing as a frequent traveller do you have any tri- tricks or tips of the trade for travelling like uh, and I mean I've been asking people about is there like a product or an item that they take that helps them out or is there a way to be with airlines or travel that helps you out um, for me it's always having some food with me I know that's a bit of a cliche but I, I'll tell you some, what, what it's, it's a travel thing but also when I went to work at the UN for the first time and I asked the person I took over from how I was worried about negotiating what is the most important thing for me to understand when I'm negotiating at the UN yeah. and he said to me have some food with you and I thought at the time god what a banal thing to say how useless um, I wanted to kind of like how how do I get the Chinese to agree to something that I'm trying to persuade them of anyway I get to the UN and I do actually end up having food in my bag I'm like oh my god this negotiation has gone on now for 12 hours some people yeah. their blood sugar's low they just want it all to finish but I'm fine because I've got a chocolate bar in my bag so I have to say for me always knowing that I've got something to eat yeah. when if like the airline runs out of food or they don't get the food that you want um, it makes a big difference to me because it keeps my morale up for me food is very morale boosting that is that's a great tip and we haven't had that before but that's so practical when you think about it yes and also you're a vegan aren't you i am yes i've been vegan for 10 years this year so that's even more important because most people you know do not cater specifically you can they're like give you a banana and then you wander off with that yeah well you're lucky if you even get a banana sometimes so like for example i flew ba this this time i just flew flew in yesterday on ba and they gave me a vegan meal at the beginning but then in the afternoon like halfway through the flight they bring around like Kit Kats and chocolate bars and stuff like that and I'm like oh have you got a have you got a vegan version no so that was a bit that was a bit disappointing and there's so much food that's accidentally vegan now like Oreos are vegan 
So oh, yes. you give somebody a packet of Oreos, give a vegan a packet of Oreos, and they're fine. Oh my god, I love that quote. Um, and, and, and I'm <laughs> going to use that at lunch all the time. But thank you so, so much for your time today. It's my pleasure. Really nice speaking to you. Yeah, and hopefully I'm just going to get this recorded. Next time you're here, can I get you for a little bit longer, maybe? Yeah, definitely. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Okay, everybody heard that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You're listening to Mira Manga and the Girls on Tour podcast. Thank you so much, Harriet, an inspirational woman if I've ever met one. You can follow her on Twitter at HarryVX. To get in touch with us here, simply email girlsontourpodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Bill at Radio Paradise, Rodri and Abby, and of course the tireless and long-suffering Charlie Moores, who takes my appeals from the local magistrates all the way up to the International Court of Justice. Next week we will be doing something a little bit different. The Girls on Tour podcast joins up with Muses and Stuff podcast for a simul podcast fronted by two super cool kittens to chat all about adventures in groupiedom and share road warrior tales. Until we next meet, may you always be joyous within and happy trails. Till next time. Bye. Girls on Tour Girls on Tour